Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series where we're shining a light on our failures. And I've just been educated by our next guest in the hot seat. Apparently, women love to talk about their failures, and it's mainly men. <laughs> so with us on the line is uh, Judy Ferguson, the founder and CEO of Merchant Risk Council. There you go. How are you today, Judy? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, great to have you here, man. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting your story on record. So why don't you kick us off uh, for our viewers and listeners around the world who haven't heard about uh, you and, and your amazing work at Merchant Risk Council. So give us the elevator pitch. What do we need to know? So we are a global nonprofit that is a membership association. Our members are um, the world's largest e-commerce retailers and those solution providers that support them. Our goal is to be the go-to place for e-commerce fraud prevention and payment professionals. Um, so we host events, we do networking, we have education, um, and we do advocacy for our members. And a little bit about myself, I'm a serial entrepreneur, had three successful startups, and thought um, after the last one, wow, that's a fast pace, I'm kind of done, and I thought I'd retire. And my kids said, hey, mom, you're driving us crazy. Go back to work. So I started volunteering at the nonprofit I actually started 23 years ago. And I was like, ooh, this is fun. And so I decided to uh, toss my hat in the ring and became the CEO three years ago. Fantastic. So just uh, when it comes to Merchant Risk Council, what's the problem that you guys are solving there? Um, so the fraudsters are super organized across the globe. And so they're sharing tactics on how to commit crime, cybercrime and e-commerce crime and identity theft and all that. And the merchants, the industry wasn't very organized. And so the, the start of MRC was to help all of the people in the industry collaborate and share information. And then as the world has grown, um, it's gotten much smaller. Um, most merchants are global. And so you need to know how to accept payments in every country across the world. Sounds like an interesting problem. So uh, what is your story of fail for us today? So it was hard to choose, but I think my favorite one is I was right at the start of my career at my first startup, and we were growing like crazy. And uh, I was in charge of uh, the IT operations, in charge of coding, in charge of sales, and just a little bit of everything. And we'd gotten some VC money and we're being successful. And instead of asking for help, I was just doing a terrible job. And I actually one day even locked the door and said, nobody can come in here. I'm just trying to get some work done. And I wasn't open. I wasn't collaborative. And um, we had hired a CEO at that point, And he came in and uh, said, you're not going to be in charge of this stuff anymore. We're going to just shrink down your job because you're not scaling. And that was a rude awakening. And, you know, as a founder, you kind of got the rug yanked out from under you. It's a hard pill to swallow. And, um, you know, I know a lot of founders walked away, but I said, you know what, when I fail, that's an opportunity to learn. And so I stuck through it and, and I learned a lot. So what did you actually learn from that experience? That it is okay to ask for help. Um, it, you don't need to know everything. And sometimes in your career, when you've grown, because I've been a part of these fast growth companies, it's okay to say, hey, I don't know how to do this and I'm not the right person to do this. So let's go bring somebody in who knows how to do it. And it's actually be asking for help is really, um, it's a hard, hard thing to do, um, especially when, when you want to do it all. But it, 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 it is the catalyst for change for yourself. I've heard that a lot, interestingly, about the founders being replaced, uh, you know, especially if they're 
venture backed or was a VC firm, put money into them and they're like, look, you know, we've got investors, we've got LPs, you need to, you know, get, you, you know, you said you're going to become a unicorn. Why aren't you a unicorn? You know, we're near, you know, hitting those sorts of numbers. So I've, I've heard that happen before. But interestingly, it's the first time I've actually had someone on the show that has been in that situation. And to your point, I get, I understand it's hard to swallow your pride and say, Hey, I'm actually out of my comfort zone. And I've been there before, not been replaced because of an investor or a board or whatever, but wound up with a company that I had the opposite problem. We were scaling too fast. Um, and wound up in a situation where I actually just hated the business. I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to deal with <laughs> with 55 people every day. You know what I mean? Or whatever the number is. It, it just became a point where I was like, you know what? Scale is actually not always a good thing. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, so let's go back to the future. What would you do differently if you could go back in time? So I actually would have asked for help, right? It, I would have said, you know what? I don't know how to do this. What are the skills? What do I need to learn? And I think people even tried to tell me, but I wasn't listening. So, you know, if I could, you know, coach my younger self, it would have been, hey, ask for help. But, you know, to your point, at the, at the last startup I was at, um, when we, so my magic number is about 150 to 200 people, and then it's, it starts to suck, right? There's too much process and, mm. and other stuff that's just not fun for building products. And so the last time I actually went to the CEO and I said, I don't want to be on the leadership team anymore. This is not fun for me. I just want to do products. So, um, you know, I'd love to stay. And so um, he said, I'll work with you. Um, I got to pick who I was going to report into on the leadership team and, and create my, my new job, right. Of just doing what I love. Um, and a lot of people are like, how can you stay and how can you be off of the executive team? And you just got to toss your ego out the window and be happy. And and that is something that I really learned and I've taken to heart through my career. But I don't know how you would tell a 20-something-year-old to do that because that's it's hard. Mm. Well, the other thing that's hard is becoming self-aware enough to know that you need help because you're drinking your Kool-Aid because you think, well, you, you got us from one employee to 50 or 100. Now, you know, I'm not the right guy or I'm not the right girl. You know what I mean? Like it, it actually takes a certain degree of emotional intelligence, I guess, to recognize that, hey, this I'm not the right captain of the ship anymore. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, you know, when you're building it from nothing to something, that's your baby, right? That, yeah. that is, you protect that and you, you, nobody else can do it as well as you. Of course, goes without saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a tough thing. <laughs> so what is your advice to a, a CEO, a founder uh, today, Julie, when it comes to their relationship with uh, failure? Um, to embrace it. So, you know, actually, when I'm talking to my board now, I say one of my biggest challenges is I don't get enough negative feedback it's hard when you're, you know, running the company to be down in the weeds and see the parts that are failing. And so not only, you know, enjoy and embrace when somebody comes to you with negative feedback or, hey, this is failing, but actually reward them. And, and one of the phrases I use a lot um, at the MRC is it's a safe place to fail. It's, that's actually something I learned in Scouts. Both my kids are Eagle Scouts and, you know, been a part of that for a long time. But Creating that safe environment where it's okay to say, hey, I'm failing, 
or hey, this is failing and and I need help fixing it is is really important. And so as a leader, when I screw something up and I do it epically on a regular basis, I raise my hand, I apologize, and I either say, hey, I need help. I don't know how to fix this or here's here's my idea on how to fix this. What do you guys think? And by leading by example is really, really powerful because then other people do come to you and say, this is really messed up, Julie. We, we need to work on it. Or I, you know, I've had somebody come to me and call me at nine o'clock at home. I just really messed this up and I knew it was okay to call you, but I just wanted to get it off my chest so I could sleep tonight. Right. So those are, those are the kinds of, that's the kind of environment that I like to work in. And that's to all CEOs, that's the environment we need to create. So let's double click on that. So how do you create a culture that is safe? Because, um, you know, I, if you're the CEO, no one's going to, well, let's just say most people, 99 times out of 100 are not going to tell you you suck to your face because <laughs> you're the CEO. So how do you create this this culture of, of trust where it's okay and it's safe to tell the CEO, hey, you sucked at this thing or you made a mistake or you failed? Like, you know what I mean? Like to be candid and transparent and authentic. Um, I think it takes time. Um, so among my leadership team, we all joke around um, at the start of our leadership team meeting and say, okay, who screwed up what? And we kind of share, um, you know, what's what's been going on and just building that culture and, and showing people that, hey, when things get messed up, if you share, there aren't consequences. Um, and then they take that down to their teams and do it with their teams and their team meetings. And then very soon, um, you end up with that that culture. Mm-hmm. Julie, do you uh, read or recommend any books or tools or resources for other CEOs to use on their journey? So my favorite um, is to network with other CEOs. Um, so for, for me, since I'm now at a nonprofit, it's the Association for Association Executives. Um, and they have a CEO forum, um, but there, there's also a local CEO group that I participate in because nobody understands what it's like except somebody else who's in your shoes. And what I found when I'm facing big problems, I can usually reach out to the group um, and get an answer of how they handled it or how they solved it, whether it's an HR issue, a product issue, a financial issue. Um, pretty much somebody's already already found and had that problem and figured out a solution. Mm. I actually interviewed uh, Albert Laszlo Barabasi. He wrote the book, The Formula. He's a network scientist. And he basically studied, to your point, the role of networks in success, regardless of what type of business you are, how big you are, where you are, whatever. And he basically, in his book, he writes about uh, this idea of performance. And he says, when performance can be measured, meaning you're running 100 meters, or whatever, um, you, or you're going from zero to 60. When it can be measured, performance always leads to success. However, when you are in the business uh, context, how do you measure performance? It's a difficult, much more you know, difficult, ambiguous thing to, to measure. And so him and his team, they came up with this network idea. And the, the idea is this. It says, um, when performance cannot be measured, Networks always drive success more than any other factor. It's an interesting point. Yeah, you know, I really like that. And and um, this is one of my secrets. But my, my secret motto is we suck less. We just have to suck less than the competition. Um, you know, one of the challenges that entrepreneurs always have is the strive for perfection and never getting the product out the door. Um, and 
I have always said since early on in my career, much to everybody's dismay, because it sounds kind of bad, right? We just have to suck less. And, and to that point, you know, when you're working with those networks and thinking about that, you really find out what the standard is and you just have to suck less. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I had a, a client and they were talking about, you know, how to grow their business and, and you know, advertising. And, you know, I was like, I was like God, got to do that. You know, you got to create the ad and you got to manage the ad. You got to find the money for the ad. And it's like everybody's advertising, right? That's, and, you know, by the way, most advertising sucks. <laughs> so, and then they wonder why they don't get a return on their ad spend. It's like, well, because to your point, Judy, like most advertising sucks. So to suck less, right? And this is my thing. It's like, so you are now in this context of growth, right? A network is that you are now a lead for me, right? Yeah. Zero yeah. ad spend, zero content, and all it took was an email. Yep. That's the yeah. cost, actually. So, so, so for me, I suck a lot less than any other type of business trying to you know, do all the same things the same way as everybody else. It's the definition of insanity, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. It's uh, people don't recognize when they're in that mode. Yeah. It's podcast people telling you change your life. Uh, <laughs> Julie, <laughs> Julie, that concludes your time in the, the hot seat. Thanks for, for being on the show and being vulnerable. I appreciate you for that. All right. Thank you. Cheers everybody. 